And truly in song, the word of the Lord has been proclaimed. It's important to recognize the context that even though this letter comes from uh, the broader name Ephesians, it's written to the church at Ephesus, to a particular time in a particular place. And this is a text that is meant to shake empires. Close attention to the very deliberate words that are used in these verses and the way that it would have functioned for Christians of Asia Minor living under the iron rule of Rome can reveal just how deeply political the spiritual vision of Ephesians is. In short, these tightly crafted words of Ephesians 2 verses 12 through 22 directly challenge the swaggering claims of Rome's emperors who saw themselves as godlike forgers of a new world of peace. Likewise, it undermines all the systems that a secure insider and this distinction of a top-down privilege by setting up barriers that identify some as an outsider or less than. So it's so crucial to realize that any talk of peace within this context of Asia Minor in the late first century under Roman rule would be politically charged talk. Roman emperors, Augustus in particular, were hailed as the semi-divine bringers of an unprecedented peace that would settle the messy fights between the Mediterranean and Asia Minor. Now this Roman brand of peace, of course, was an enforced peace brought through enforced military domination. When necessary, terror would be used, specifically the terror of the crucifixion for anyone foolhardy enough to challenge peace on the empire's terms. On state occasions, festival days such as the birthday of the emperor, when the emperor's lordship would be celebrated, the emperor as peace bringer would be brought out in great public speeches. Or maybe even perhaps today, for current world rulers who want to make Jerusalem great again, claiming peace in the Middle East is, quote, frankly, not as difficult as people thought. Imagine that we, as a community of Christians in Asia Minor, are tightly packed into the largest house that's available for this first reading of this letter that's arrived, the one that will later come to be known as this letter to Ephesians. Now, we're gathered to hear it read out loud, of course, because most of us can't read. And as the reader gets to the part that says, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, he is our peace, there is a quick intake of breath and glances towards the door. Who might have heard? Christ is our peace? This would be a pronouncement bordering on treason. What is being claimed, after all, is that despite the swaggering claims of Rome's emperors, true peace has been inaugurated by the person the empire crucified. The disconnect between the chilling talk of the state and the thrilling words of the gospel would set anybody's heart racing. Listen to the way that Paul uses the familiar to illuminate the less familiar. 
key terms of distinction familiar to residents in Rome's conquered lands, strangers, aliens, citizens, are drawn alongside the religious division of Jew and non-Jew, a religious reality less likely familiar in Asia Minor's mostly non-Jewish late first century churches. Citizenship was highly valued across the empire, so much so that among the foreign people conquered by Rome, some would pay great money for Roman citizenship. This is alluded to in Acts 22, where Paul is bound and about to be whipped when he confronts his captors with the fact that he too is a Roman citizen, making whipping him a crime. The judge and jury are amazed, confessing that he had paid a high price for his citizenship, whereas in reality, Paul was born that way. Think of the constant hotspots around the globe or the places enduring tribal violence or the generation to generation legacy of racial tension here in the United States. Then reread Ephesians 2.14. Christ is our peace. We often speak of Christ we often speak of Christ creating peace between humanity and God, but in this reading, the peace that Christ brings us is between one group of human beings and another, as much as it is related to humanity standing before God. Hostility between us is overcome, and the reconciliation with God is also made real. This, by the way, is one of the reasons why when Jesus is asked what are the two greatest commandments, he says to love God and love neighbor, it speaks very much to this reality of the vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with neighbor. From people on opposite sides of the culture awards, or to maybe that frenemy that each of us have at work, or maybe the bully that we encounter on the own blocks of our lives. Most of us have an enemy who is not entirely an abstraction. Now here is a very real and chilling fact. Unbeknownst to ourselves, we may be the enemy of someone else. And as a way of making this horizontal, this neighborly reconciliation vivid and real, we might try praying for our enemies. But don't take my word for it. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. By the way, just as a little bit of theological humor, as one walks into the library at Princeton Theological Seminary, there is an umbrella stand, and it is emblazoned on a brass plaque. He sends rain on the just and unjust. A question, though, is how big or how different from what we know would the household of God have to be to hold all of us together? One radical element of this message is that God's unification of two groups does not mean uniformity. Again, unification does not mean uniformity. 
one group does not fall under the power of the more dominant group. Rather, Paul says that God in Christ has made one humanity of the two. Gentiles do not become Jews. Jews do not become Gentiles. Rather, both Jews and Gentiles become united in Christ as Jews and Gentiles. All are welcomed into the story of God to play their own part in the continuing story of redemption. The point is that God's reconciliation and transformation of humanity finds this expression, finds this definition in a unity that's marked by welcoming and hospitality. We even in the church should not presume that those outsiders need to become like us, which is why Broad Street Ministry is rooted in a radical hospitality and welcoming. The church should be a light that paves the way, welcoming both Jew and Gentile, or us and the other, and uniting them into God's mission in Christ. Ephesians declares peace on this new terms, the peace forged not by the lords of the empire in its many forms, but in the body of the crucified, the cross undermining the wall, dividing Jew and non-Jew. But that's only the beginning. Now, it's important here to have a key theological excursus between the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person of Christ is the description of who Jesus is. In the New Testament, descriptions of who Jesus is are accompanied by descriptions of what Jesus did. Now, the work of Christ is the description of the actions of Christ, focusing particularly on his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. Now, we know from the early creeds of the church that Christ is one person in two natures, both fully human and fully divine. And so when one reads about Christ, it could be about Christ's person, or it could be about Christ's work. So when we read in verses 19 and 20, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone, this cornerstone of Christ can be both his person and his work. That is an example of Christ's ministry of welcoming and reconciliation. There needs to be no distinction or no difference. Now this new household of God is not purely a spiritual reality that we briefly visit here on Sunday afternoons together a weekly timeout where we are pretending that peace is possible by sitting next to people that might be different than we are. No, the church is the daring practice of a new politics, a different kind of power, this self-outpoured, boundary-crossing power of Christ's cross. We trust this power, letting it undermine every wall until we are, quote, built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. It's worth noting that, as was mentioned during the welcoming, that there are these three Lectio stations of Scripture and also an anointing table as well. What we are meant to do is to begin to practice here 
those very practices that we are going to bring with us from this place and practice them during the week. And so therefore, during the celebration of the Lord's Supper, as you come forth and receive the elements, you are welcome to visit each or all of the stations to reflect upon this sense of welcoming, preparing our hearts and minds. Because some weeks it can be really hard to be welcoming. Locally, from the tragedies that were witnessed here last Saturday night, nationally, to the horrors that were revealed and uncovered with the USA Gymnastics, internationally with the 75 who were killed in Kabul from an explosion that was placed inside of an ambulance, a symbol of hope perverted into a symbol of destruction. And so we have this opportunity to reset our hearts and minds so that we may be welcoming. It's also a sad fact that even though the world is shrinking and we have possibilities of communication like never before, the world is more and more fragmented into different groups and camps and subgroups. And yet the church can and should model the, the barrier-free life that Christ has brought. That's so on a global scale. And it's also the case in the community of faith. We're all family. And no one is to be treated as strangers or aliens. Differences in race, class, gender, economic condition, politics, and opinion exist. But they are not barriers to living in unity in Christ. The community of faith here is a laboratory for the kingdom of God, for which we pray when we say, on earth as it is in heaven. The community of faith as a laboratory for the kingdom can also be a witness to the wider secular society. Differences among persons exist, but the community is possible when dividing walls based on hostility are broken down. The bonds of a common humanity tie us together for the good of all. The community of faith should work towards peace of a state of national tranquility and model the peace between individuals. Christ observes in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Broad Street Ministry models that here. And may we tangibly demonstrate this sense of welcoming to those we encounter both near and far in the week ahead. And so therefore, let us continue to repair our hearts and minds as we listen carefully to the song of response. Many times in a worship environment where it is sung that I need you to survive, it's typically talking about one's relationship with God through Christ by the Holy Spirit. However, here, as you will hear, I need you to survive is speaking to the neighbor, speaking to the other. This is what is needed to demonstrate this radical welcoming. Thanks be to God. Amen.